Hello and welcome to another episode of Friday Formula, where this week we're hoping not to take out our teammates as we have a lap around the history books of the Baku City Circuit. I'm Owen Bellwood and as always I'm joined by Will Longman. How are you doing this week, Will? I'm good. I've just started wondering what we would be like if we were Formula One teammates. don't know because I feel like it's so rare that you get Formula One teammates that like genuinely actually get on. They're sort of civil. And then like Lando and Carlos is kind of the exception. Are you saying that we wouldn't be an exception to that? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know how... I'm not... I'm not competitive. Probably not if you have to think about it for that long. Yeah, I don't think I'm competitive. <laughs> See, I'm competitive but really bad. So, you know... <laughs> So as alluded to in uh, this week's intro, we are kind of previewing the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, which takes place this weekend. We'll be kicking off with practice today, and then we've got qualifying Saturday and the race on Sunday. So as it's been two years since we were last in the Azerbaijan, we thought it'd be a nice time to kind of take a look back and take stock of the kind of action and madness that has taken place on the streets of Baku in the past. So the first race did take place in Baku in 2016, and that was the European Grand Prix. But the first official Azerbaijan Grand Prix was 2017. And as it ended up being quite a mad, hectic race, we thought it would be a really good time to take a look back on it and reminisce about the golden days. Do you remember watching Azerbaijan 2017, Will? I don't remember watching it live, but it's one of those races that like was almost headline news. It was that good. So if you weren't watching the race or following that closely, I mean, I, I was at the time, but like didn't watch it. You knew what happened in this race anyway. For, I think, a couple of particular headliners that did a particular thing on a particular lap. But it's one of those races. It's voted the sixth best race of the decade by Formula One fans. And it, it's one of those ones that if you're like, you want something on in the background, you just stick it on F1 TV, watch it in full and like re-experience it because it's absolutely mental. Is it the case that it's kind of so action packed that you put it on in the background and then just get drawn in and that would be your full attention? It is a little bit, yeah, but it also has a red flag period. And I really like watching races that have red flag periods because I like... I, I'm a bit of a broadcast nerd, so I like listening to the filler and how they struggle and try and fill time and get like creative with the shots. And, and also what happens in the pit lane when the drivers have to get out of the cars. Yeah, I always like it when they want to replace stuff and everything has to get taken off and weighed and then the new parts get weighed. I find that quite interesting how, how meticulous they are about making sure that everything is the same throughout. Do you remember watching the race? Uh, like you said, it was sort of you couldn't escape it in the aftermath, so I remember hearing about certain events that we're going to come on to. Um, but at the time, I don't think I would have watched the whole thing, maybe the highlights afterwards. But one thing I've quite enjoyed about uh, in the lead-up to recording this, we've taken a look back at a few of the other races, and it is quite consistently quite a good race. So we're obviously going to focus on 2017, but then 2018 we had... Um, Danny Rick and Max Verstappen coming together, which was another fairly headline moment. So hopefully that means there will be nice bits of action to follow this weekend as well. I hope so. It's quite a tricky 
I'm speaking from experience of playing the Formula One game, but it's quite a, it is quite a tricky circuit, um, especially kind of through that turn eight to twelve section around the castle, and you have quite a few drivers. Uh, even at the top of their game, they struggle there. I mean, someone as experienced as Robert Kubica crashed in that barrier in the same place where Charles Leclerc did in 2019 in qualifying. But you have Latifi, Mazepin, Schumacher, Sonoda, who haven't raced there in a Formula 1 car. Have raced there in F2, but I think it's going to be a unique challenge for, for all of them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how much focus they have on FP1, FP2, and if we see quite a lot of running early on in the weekend from drivers like that, and then I guess everyone, because we've been away from it for two years. It's another circuit that didn't make it onto the calendar last year because of the COVID crisis. So I think I'm quite excited to be back in Baku. Now, one, not at all related to the racing action and things, but one thing I found quite interesting about the build-up to the race is that they have to lay a temporary surface over quite a lot of the circuit to protect the cobbles underneath. So they're racing on cobble streets that are then covered over and then you go again in a few years time and it's cobbles again. Do you remember in 2019 when George Russell drove over a loose manhole cover Mm. and it scraped the floor? Yeah, I remember seeing all the sparks flying and sort of there was a bit of a bump to his car as it shot up. And then they loaded it onto the truck and the truck crashed into a bridge. Was that that same year? <laughs> it was the same thing. That was, the, that, that was them picking the car up from the manhole cover, put it on a machine and it, it crashed. You want action, you watch the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It's really got me pumped up for Sunday now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we've raced there four times. Two of the races have had safety cars, which is a, is a pretty good ratio. It is quite a ferocious track, isn't it? And that really came to the forefront in 2017 I think. Yeah so when the race kicked off there was action from the get-go and it kind of all kicked off with in the first corner we saw Kvyat running wide and then he came back in and caused Carlos Sainz to spin off and it was quite nice watching that back because I forgot how good the uh, Toro Rosso livery used to be. That was my main takeaway from that, that chrome blue and red. It's still also a little bit weird seeing Carlos Sainz in a Red Bull livery car, isn't it? Considering that he's gone through Renault and McLaren since then and is now at Ferrari. And it wasn't that long ago, really. No. I wonder which driver on the grid has been through the most teams in the shortest time. I'm not sure. That's that's for another episode. (laughs) But the action did continue into the first lap. And a few corners later, we had uh, the two fins of Raikkonen and Bottas coming together. And that gave Raikkonen quite a bit of floor damage. Bottas ended up with a puncture and he had to go into the pits to get new tyres. And he dropped way back down the pack, which sort of made it look like his race could have been over. It put him a lap down, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've got... He was he was one lap behind the leaders after yeah. just the first lap. Whose fault was it? I don't know. It was kind of... It wasn't a lot of space, but I would kind of probably stick it down as a racing incident. I don't yeah, think. me too. They were both going for the same corner. There's not a lot you could do. I think that all kind of any incident that happens in those first few corners is always going to go down as a as a racing incident because the line is the line you can take around those like kind of right angled turns in sector one is so thin that you've got to make the move. 
that's what makes this this track so great, right? It's a tight street circuit like Monaco that you can actually try and do an overtake on. Yeah, that's another thing that's quite interesting about it is that it's a lot of quite sharp right hand uh, right angle corners, which usually get criticised for killing the speed and making for boring racing. But there's usually a decent amount of overtakes, and it's not always just DRS. It's a lot of kind of outbreaking each other and wiggling your way through. Yeah, I think it really benefits from having. It does benefit from having that long straight, which is the longest straight in Formula One. Mm-hmm. It is 2.2 kilometers. So 36% of the lap is spent on that straight. 36%? In terms of distance, obviously that's where they go the fastest. But in terms of like distance in the track, it's, it's more than a third of the lap. That's a good stat. Thank you. There are a lot of overtakes into turn one. And I would argue one of the greatest overtakes of the last few years, like, top five stuff happened at the end of that long straight not in a DRS zone because it was on a particular lap and that was in this race so I think we'll get on to it yes yeah I've got a few few more laps and points to get through before we get there <laughs> so as the race went on there was a few sort of notable mentions I'd say so Ricardo had to go into the pits because he had some uh, some debris in his brake ducts and that saw him drop down the pecking order as well so I think he came out about 17th and we had a good 10 laps of clean racing before we ended up with uh, Max Verstappen having uh, an engine issue and Danny Kvyat was also ran into some troubles and that brought out the safety car and it was the first safety car period of the race and even that was uh, an action-packed safety car period. Do you know what happened during this? Yes, I do. I can't particularly remember what happened on the lead-up, but I think Hamilton was complaining about the safety car being too slow. Which there's, that's, that happens every time there's a safety car. Yeah, all the time. So he slammed on his brakes, coming into sector three, which is turn, or oh, like 14, 15, which surprised Vettel, to say the least, to the extent that he pulled alongside him to the left-hand side, waved his arm about, which would have been enough, right? That would have been enough, and he could have carried on. But no, he veered right and drove into into Lewis, which is, I think, the stupidest thing he's ever done. But I loved it. It was, it was insane. And I read somewhere that there was post-race analysis of Hamilton's telemetry. Showed that he didn't actually put the brakes on any more than he normally would have on that corner. So it was just all down to maybe Vettel being a bit bit too eager to get ahead of him and just not keeping an eye. But it was it was mad to see. He's, he's a four-time world champion. You don't want to see people like that crashing into other drivers and giving them a piece of their mind. And I think like the fact that, that you know the initial problem was the safety car probably going too slowly... But I think there has to be a little bit of acceptance from like, on a street circuit like Baku, that section around the castle is seven metres wide. So he's got to drive this Aston Martin or Mercedes, whichever the one they've got this week, through a pretty narrow section. And generally, it's going to be quite slow for a road car to drive around. So there's got to be a little bit of understanding for Bernd Mylander. But Lewis doesn't care. No, no, he just wants him to speed up. So Vettel did get a, a 10 second stop and go penalty for dangerous driving. Uh, and I believe that's related to this incident, isn't it? 
Yes, because the best thing is he came on the radio and just went, well, when did I do dangerous driving? <laughs> so it's interesting how, because of later events, how his little overreaction pretty much lost him the win. Yep. So once we'd got one safety car period out of the way, I don't think we even managed a full lap before there was more drama. And this time, it was a classic case of Force India teammates not getting on. <laughs> <laughs> the Force India drivers at that time were Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez. And they kind of quite famously didn't really see eye to eye throughout their time in the same team. And they collided just after the, uh, the safety car had gone in, which sadly brought an end to Perez's race uh, and saw Ocon drop down the order. And it was, it was one of those shots that kind of popped up quite a lot, the two Force Indias tussling together. It was quite a familiar sight by this point. Hopefully, they both got given a fairly stern talking to afterwards. Well, they were sitting so pretty at that point because they were they were fourth and fifth, and in front of them they had Hamilton in the lead, Vettel who was about to get a ten second stop go penalty, and Felipe Massa's Williams, which I think ran into problems later on in the race. So they could have got a one two. Yeah, if they just stuck stuck with it. It could have been an absolutely glorious day for the team, but sadly, it was not to be. So their collision actually brought about the red flag, which was, I'm sure, your favourite part of the race. Do you remember any notable moments from the red flag period? Yes, there is one of the most memorable moments of any red flag period, and it's when Kimi Raikkonen asks for his steering wheel and gloves. Oh, is that from this race? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yes, there was there was something about, I don't know if Kimi was like a lap down or something, or maybe he picked up damage from debris and pitted when there was a safety car, and I can't remember, but I think he had to go out first, out of the pit lane, um, and rejoin his position, and he didn't have his steering wheel and gloves, so he was shouting around for his steering wheel and gloves. I was thinking about this the other day, actually. Don't they have to click a button on the steering wheel to turn the radio on? So how is he talking to everyone? Oh, yeah. Is there like an emergency radio button? But where would it be? I don't know. If we ever get Kimi Raikkonen on as a guest. What, the man who loses interest in interviews straight away, we're going to ask him how his radio works? That's the first question we'll ask him. So then by the time we get on to our like mundane chatter, he'll have lost interest. So once he'd, uh, once he'd found his steering wheel in his gloves. The racing did start again. And uh, do you remember anything that happened in the second period of the race? So this is straight off the safety car restart, isn't it? This is one of the great overtakes. Yep. Ah, there was a great overtake. <laughs> <laughs> this was uh, Daniel Ricciardo with his reputation as being last of the late breakers, taking like 17 cars in one move. Yeah, it was glorious. Yeah. It was Lance Stroll in the Williams, Nico Hulkenberg in the Renault, and Felipe Massa also in a Williams. They were all sort of tussling with each other, weren't they? Uh, and then he just kind of dived down the inside, breaking last, 
pulling himself up into third. So he'd pretty much got a guaranteed podium by this point. Mad move. Absolutely mental. Yeah, it was insane. It's so rare to see someone overtaking one person on the street circuits. <laughs> so just to see him pulling it out of the bag was kind of incredible. And it's one of those situations where I think you might watch a race on another track and be like, they've got to clear this traffic really quickly or they've, they've got to get through. And you might think, right, yeah, two or three laps be a good chunk of time to get through that. With what must have been cold tyres mm. and cold brakes as well, to pull off that is just incredible. Yeah, yeah. And it looked like he had like a tiny little lock-up and that was it. Yeah. It was all just... Just plain sailing for him. And that really set him up for the rest of the race, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, I did have a, a honourable mention for another quite tasty overtake. Not three people, it was just two. And this was Kevin Magnussen in the Haas. He also passed Nico Hulkenberg and Felipe Massa. And that got him up into fifth place. So I think that just deserves a mention because how often do you get to talk about a Haas overtaking someone? Oh, or as high up as fifth. I know. Anymore, anyway. It, it's easy to forget that, you know, that used to be a, a good result for them, but yeah. you know, that's that where they sat. That would be an incredible result. Could you imagine 15 DNFs in one race? <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a fair few in this one in the end. Yeah. Two, four, six. Six DNFs. No, seven DNFs. Seven. Raikkonen's down as a DNF, but... He also says he finished 14th. Oh, did he finish 90% of the race? Yeah, must have been. Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg was a DNF, wasn't he? He hit his front right on the entrance to like the old section. Yeah, he clipped the wall uh, and his suspension pretty much collapsed there and then. So he, he was a, a DNF. And then just after that, one of the strangest reasons to pit I've ever seen was with Lewis Hamilton when his headrest started coming loose. Never seen anything like that any other race. No, I, I, I guess maybe it was during the red flag period. Mm. You know, things might get forgotten where it's not the normal procedure for starting a race. But you should you should be getting that right. It's, it's interesting. I would have thought he'd be able to feel that as he's going round. Yeah, especially because when you see the, the onboard when they're saying that his headrest is coming loose, you can you can see it rising up over his shoulders. Yeah. And that doesn't look like it'd be comfortable. No. It's a brilliant shot, though. It's one of the best onboard shots where you can actually like see something wrong with the car from there. From there. Yeah, yeah, because usually when someone's saying there's like something wrong with one of the tyres or there's a little bit of blistering and you're there like staring at your TV with a magnifying <laughs> glass, like, how can they spot that? But with this, it was something physically moving but this was kind of the point where the stars started to align for for old uh, Daniel Ricciardo wasn't it yes I mean it was so lucky for Vettel because these two would have been the title protagonists Mm. and he's had to do his 10 second stop go and then Hamilton's essentially had to come in and do the same thing because they managed to get back up to fourth and fifth but at the front, yeah, it was all about Daniel Ricciardo and his Red Bull, and, and that move really paid off. Yeah, it's quite interesting that there ended up being basically two massive recovery drives on the podium in the end, because you had Danny Rick, who'd had to pit quite early on to remove the debris from his brakes, 
and also Valtteri Bottas, who'd had to pit really early on because of a puncture. Uh, and he was he was riding in fourth and then sailed past Esteban Ocon. So that pulled him up into third and on those podium places. And then it was on the final straight, just before the chequered flag, when Bottas sailed into second place by passing Canada's own Lance Stroll, who, well, he might have liked to have been in second, stayed in third and got his first ever Formula One podium. And Williams last. Really? That's their last podium. They didn't get any, any more later in the year. I don't believe so. I really hope not, because I've been writing that on the internet all week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's Williams' best results, you know, ever since then. They had a third the season before with Valtteri Bottas. But yeah, it's their best result since Felipe Massa for the final race in Abu Dhabi in 2014. Or equal, joint best result. Yeah, I do love that Williams martini livery. It's pure marketing, but I mean, pretty much all liveries are. And it's just, it's just perfect. The way it kind of follows sort of the lines of the car all the way down to the front. I think it's one of the, one of the best Formula One liveries. If you want to bring back a classic Williams livery like McLaren did with golf at Monaco, Mm. martini, that might be one in like 20 years time they bring back. Yeah. I really like it. What I really enjoy is when uh, they reproduce it in other games. So I think they have like a martini livery in Gran Turismo, but obviously they can't say martini, so it just says racing. (laughs) (laughs) And I think they have the same in the Formula One game where Williams was sponsored by Rothman's cigarettes, Mm. and that just says racing. racing. (laughs) I like that. Just to stay on the old uh, livery bandwagon, not so much 2017, but 2018, when Renault kind of started to perfect their black and yellow. I do. I really like the Alpine. The blue's excellent, but that black and yellow, where it's yellow from the top and the front, and black from the side and the back, that was cool. We really need to book in our uh, liveries episode, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that was that was the end of the race. So the the final finishing result was Danny Rick claiming his victory for Red Bull Racing, closely followed by Valtteri Bottas in the Mercedes, and then Lance Stroll with his first podium for Williams, just four seconds behind Daniel Ricciardo. So there was only a tenth of a second separating uh, Bottas and Stroll at the end of the race, which is very tight. It's pretty gutting, isn't it? Mm. Well, it would be gutting for anyone else, but obviously Stroll was pretty pleased with it. He he was saying on the radio, he was like, oh, this is a dream come true. And in the back of my head, I was a bit like, you're like 19. The other drivers have been dreaming about this for a lot longer than you have, son. I always forget how young he is. He doesn't seem like an old driver, but I feel like he's been around the sport for a long time. Yeah. Same with Max Verstappen, always forget that he's like 22 yeah stroll it must be the same with vettel vettel was very young when he won with toro rosso and he was the youngest world champion and you know people kind of think he's a dinosaur but he's only you know he's younger than uh lewis hamilton yeah and then at the other end you've got raikkonen still going strong and alonso back in this year wow strong is a subjective word oh yeah well still going (laughs) 
I still want old man Kimmy to catch on. That's what, that's what I'm going to call him. Well, you can pitch that to him when he comes on a later episode. So after the craziness of Azerbaijan 2017, are you predicting any more madness this weekend? Yes. I think from what we've seen in Monaco, Ferrari and McLaren have really entered the chat. And it could be five or six cars could be in for the win. In for the win? Yeah. That could be madness. What? How, how, how are you feeling it's going to go? I would say five or six cars for pole. I think when it comes to the win, there's a few cars that aren't quite as on it on race pace. And there's because there's a few more opportunities for overtaking. I think maybe Ferrari might be able to set it up for a dream quality lap, but then might not be able to hold on to the pace and the performance. Yeah. So I'm thinking in terms of like the, the title championship, Lewis is going to be hungry yeah. to get back ahead of Max. It's the first time Max has ever led the championship. It's the first time Lewis hasn't since Austrian Styria 2020, but before that, Azerbaijan 2019, which was both times Valtteri Bottas led the championship. Apart from these little blips, Lewis Hamilton has led the championship ever since. So if they line up together on the track, Lewis and Max, there's not a lot of room for error. No. And it's going to be who wants it more and if they're going to push it over that limit. And God, I hope they do. Are you hoping for it? Lewis Max collision at some point. I think it might happen. Well, because Max doesn't really have great form at Azerbaijan. His uh, his best finish is like fourth, I think. So whether that's down to interactions with other drivers or just that it's a circuit he doesn't really get on with. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to see him do better than four this weekend, but I've not got him down as my uh, my pole position prediction. Why are you keeping us in suspense? Like. <laughs> Who have you got down as pole? I've gone with Lewis for pole. Purely okay. back of that poor performance the other uh, the other week out. I think he's going to be hungry to improve. And while there's been no repeat winners at Azerbaijan, I think he's raced there quite a few times. It'll be re- raring to go, ready to pounce on it. So I reckon I reckon he's going to come out of the gate fighting, and he's going to claim pole. Okay. Who who would you say is going to be leading the pack? Well. Yeah, Lewis, you know, he's gone pretty well at Azerbaijan in the past. But I think Ferrari are going to carry on their form. And they're expecting to do well. They, they're they trying to prove that it's not a blip in Monaco. Mm. So I am going to go with Carlos Sainz. That would be majestic. It would, wouldn't it? I think he made a big step in Monaco. Mm. Ferrari took a big step in Monaco. He put it on the second row of the grid in Monaco. I think he might do it. Other than it being a street circuit, there's not a huge amount of similarities between Baku and Monaco. Though. No, but if they've if they've got their power sorted, then I think they will. And I think in the high downforce sections, they'll be okay. Mm. Because it because it's that street circuit, I think a lot of it depends on driver skill. And I think if they can give him the car, mm. he could he could prove himself. But then. I am also kind of going out on a whim here because if I just said Max Verstappen, we're just going to say Lewis and Max for pole position every episode. So I'm doing a little bit of drama and I'm hoping that like there's an issue somewhere else for someone else. Yeah. Something we've seen so far this year is that the, the Red Bull has been very quick. So it'll be interesting to see how the 36% of the distance being on the straight, how that aids them, I think, qualified in the race. Another team that could do quite well 
and have typically done well at low downforce circuits are uh, Renault slash Alpine now. Um, we haven't really seen if they can carry that form over in in their new life as Alpine. Yeah, I'd quite like to see Ocon have another good weekend. I think he deserves to be the leader of that team. Yeah. And the work is clearly improved year on year. And he's had a few crashes at Azerbaijan in the past. So give him a nice clean clean weekend with a good result. For like the story of the season, wouldn't it be great if he crashed into Alonso and they start this like almighty feud? I thought you were gonna say if he crashed into Perez. <laughs> also good. Also good. And what about the race itself? How do you think podium is going to step up. I am sticking with my I think Lewis and Max are going to get too close for comfort. I don't know if they'll take each other out, but I think they'll need to make some kind of some pit stop. They've, they've timed it quite well recently where on the last lap in um, you know Bahrain, they closed in for that last lap shenanigans, as Crofty mm. would say. Maybe they have to have the same kind of thing. It opens up the podium. I've gone with Bottas, Sainz, Norris. Ooh, interesting. Interesting. How about yourself? I kind of agreed with the uh, the Lewis and Max potential tussle and therefore did also go with Bottas winning the race. Okay. He's, he seems to know his way around Azerbaijan quite well. Uh, and then second and third went with Lewis, then Charles Leclerc. Yes. So you also think that Ferrari are going to kind of re-enter the conversation? Yeah, I'd quite like to see it. Their recovery this year has kind of not shocked me, but caught me a bit off guard. I didn't think they'd be as competitive as they had been. So a few more podiums under their belt, I think, is then going to like bring the pressure to McLaren and particularly Daniel Ricciardo to kind of up their game if they want to hold on to third place in that constructors. Well, it could very well be second place when... Uh... The flexi wing fiasco kicks off, oh, which is have to go into that now. It's scheduled for this weekend. We don't. Maybe that's something we talk about next week. Something to look forward to. So that's that's our predictions for this weekend. Um, please do let us know who you think might end up on pole position in Azerbaijan and who could take the podium. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the weekend. You can reach out to both of us at the show. And that is on Twitter at Friday Formula or individually. I'm at Aaron Bellwood and Will, you are? I'm at Will Longman. We would love to hear how you think the weekend's going to shape up. Next week, we'll be back. And as is now tradition, we'll be doing our one sentence reviews of the race. So if you'd like to be featured in that, please do get into it on Twitter also to give us your one sentence reviews of either the whole race or any particular team that you think has done well or fully. We'd really like to hear them. That is everything from us this week. Uh, please do not forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Also, if you would like to listen to a slightly more condensed and succinct version of this podcast, you can find that on YouTube, uh, where you can also put a, uh, a face to a voice and see what we both look like, if you're that way inclined. Uh, so check that out on YouTube, also Friday Formula. That is everything from us this week. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us again next week for another episode. Goodbye. Bye.